0: Hi, Molly O'Connor. And I'm Sarah Connell Sanders. And you're listening to Pop It. This is the podcast for popping questions, popping model, and pop culture. We're here at the Brickbox Theater in the J-Mac downtown with Liv. Right, you go by Liv, not Olivia.
1: Oh, Liv. Olivia, or even livy I've been <laughs> claiming as a name. Yeah. I like
0: it. Me Libby too. Scanlon, yeah. yeah. Can you give us your bio? What's your role here?
1: Sure. I'm the managing director of the Brickbox Theater in the Jean McDonough Art Center in downtown Worcester. And I'm the artistic director of Hanover Theater Repertory, which is a new initiative from the Hanover Theater and Conservatory for the Performing Arts to create professional theater here in Worcester for Worcester.
2: Which is very exciting to me personally, a theater kid. I'm thrilled. So we're in the theater right now, as we said. um, And I'm looking at the ghost light. light. I was like stage light. I was like, it's not called that. I'm looking at the ghost light. Um, It's just in the middle of the stage. Do you want to explain the ghost light kind of like superstition or the background of that?
1: Yeah, the ghost light is a light that is always left on in a theater, even when the theater is dark, especially when the theater is dark. It's usually a very sort of industrial looking light just a light bulb on a stick, basically, with a little cage around it. And the superstition is that you got to leave the light on even when the theater is dark, either to keep the ghosts away or to make sure that the ghosts can see while they're happily haunting the theater. I like to think of the latter more than the former, but it's definitely a thing. Just about every stage has a ghost light. And uh, ours was custom made by the guys over at the Hanover from Scrap Parts, and it does its job great.
2: It's very cool.
1: (laughs) I didn't know that. That's awesome.
0: Uh, I am curious about the history of this space. How long have you been up and running? What other shows have you done in here so far?
1: Sure. So this space has actually been in the works way before I even set foot in Worcester. Uh, I will try to tell the history of it to the best of my knowledge. Basically, uh, we're at 20 Franklin Street, and um, the Jean McDonough Art Center is made up of two spaces the space that I manage, again, called the Brickbox Theater, and also the pop-up, which is more of a gallery-shaped space, although it doesn't function only as a gallery. It functions for all sorts of different community and creative uh, engagement events. And this part in the back, the brick box Theater, once upon a time was part of the TNG. Um, I guess this was the sports section is what I understand. And also this theater that we're in used to be two levels, and you can actually still see in the walls of the theater There are exposed I-beams that have been cut off, but you can still see where the I-beams are sort of protruding from the wall. That's where the ceiling was. So this actually used to be two floors. And there used to be columns through the middle of the space that were also removed in order to turn it into a big open space that could eventually become this theater. And it's been a project of the Worcester Cultural Coalition and the Hanover Theater to convert this space into a very funky, very unusual, dynamic theater space. And I started here two years ago. I worked here for six months, maybe not not even quite six months before COVID started. The space wasn't even finished yet then. So it's been a very strange couple of years, um, to say the least. Uh, we have nevertheless had plenty of events in here. We uh, have had comedy. We've had live streaming of music and of performance. We had a residency group in here called El Salone. They're a really cool local cooperative organization that celebrates and makes space for artists of color. Hanover Theatre Rep did a one person Edgar Allan Poe in here we've had, it's been pretty busy despite, uh, despite the challenges from COVID. Um, certainly not as busy as it can be or as it's going to be, but we've done a lot of work since COVID set in, not only supporting the events that we've been able to support, but also just getting the space finished because in March of 2020, it wasn't actually done yet. So we still actually had work to do to actually get it ready to go. So that's what we've been working on.
2: This is the brick box Theater, which is a play on a, a black box right. theater, right? Um, could you tell our listeners a little bit about what kind of distinguishes a black box theater from a traditional theater that they may think of?
1: Sure. So let's use the Hanover Theater as the prototype for what you might be calling a traditional theater or a standard theater. So the Hanover Theater, um, the audience is sort of in a fixed location. And they're looking at the stage, which is also a fixed location. And it's like they're looking into a diorama. They are sort of looking through what would be the fourth wall. That's called a proscenium style stage and is what most people think of when they think of a a theater, I think. Um, A black box theater usually is a little bit more modular. So uh, it's literally usually just a big black box And instead of the audience always being in one location and the stage always being in one location, you can actually use the space in a more sort of flexible, dynamic way. For this reason, black box theaters tend to have more, quote unquote, avant-garde work or intimate work or funky work, whereas sort of proscenium stages host, you know, big, spectacular Broadway shows that can fill that kind of enormous stage space. So part of what's fun about having the brick box around the corner from the Hanover is that it's two very different styles of theater, literally like the physical building and the physical theater space is very different, which means we're going to have two very different kinds of performance experiences for audiences that are equally wonderful and exciting and yet totally different from each other. Um, The reason we call this a brick box instead of a black box is simply because all of the walls in here are exposed brick. And instead of drywalling them and covering them up and painting them black, we just left them exposed. So this space has a ton of character. All four walls are exposed brick. We left it brick color. So it's got a very warm, you know, red sort of brick color to it. And it looks great with the uplighting. It's a very industrial space. We have a big steel industrial catwalk that goes all the way around. We have custom built steel risers. And another thing that makes this space sort of different from the Hanover and is pretty customary in black box spaces is that the floor is actually the stage and the audience sits in bleachers, sort of like how when you're at a sporting game, you sit in bleachers and you look down on the field. Same thing in a in a black box, you sit in bleachers and you look down at the stage, as opposed to the Hanover, where you sit in the audience and you're sort of looking up at a stage. So that's another difference between the two spaces. Definitely gives it um, an immersive quality, which I
0: really like. I really enjoy your word choice, too. I guess that's my English teacher coming out. But you did a beautiful job explaining what this (laughs) place looks like. Uh, We are hosting an event September 30th here. It's our first little live endeavor. It's a serious one too. It's with Heather Bish, um, whose sister Molly Bish was abducted in the year 2000. And there have been some developments in the case in the last couple of months. So we can't wait to talk to her and talk to her about the effort she's put forth in the community to protect children and families. But I want to know just logistically, like we're we're selling 50 tickets. I know there's going to be wine and beer for sale, that kind of thing. But I was hoping you could talk us through what the event will be like. So we know what to expect and people who are thinking of coming.
1: Awesome. So most uh, events, almost all events that happen here at the JMAC, uh, folks enter through our main doors, which are at 20 Franklin Street. There's a big neon JMAC sign over the door and JMAC decals on the door. Um, and you enter through our sister space, the pop-up, and you take in whatever exhibit or installation might be on display in the pop-up. And then you come into what we call our salon, which is sort of the space that bridges the pop-up and the brick box. And in the salon, you will check your ticket and you'll buy a beer and an usher will show you up into the theater. And once you get into the theater, there will be yet another usher who sort of shows you the way to the stage. With as intimate an event as yours, you guys are going to be right center stage on a little platform so that you're up a little bit higher. And we will put floor seating around so that it's as intimate as you want it to be. And we will do a nice lighting look. Our house electricians will do a nice lighting look so that we're focusing the uh, audience's gaze right on you guys center stage. And um, people will be able to listen to what you're doing and drink their beer and, you know, take in the space and, and take in your program. For COVID purposes, we are currently requiring everyone to wear masks except for performers on stage only when they're performing. With you guys being a podcast, you I will work with you and have it up to your discretion whether you want to wear your masks the whole time or only while you're speaking. Um, but we do make a mask exception only for the performers on stage. Additionally, we will be checking uh, either proof of vaccine or proof of a negative test result within 48 hours. So those are COVID safety protocols to ensure the comfort and well-being of all of our patrons as well as our presenters and staff, and we appreciate everyone's respectful compliance with those protocols. So we are, again, we are um, allowing concessions so people can remove their mask to take a sip of beer. Um, otherwise, that's how we're playing that I think the best
0: hint someone gave me I was just saying we were in August uh, we were in Provincetown for the bulk of August and there was obviously a delta outbreak there earlier in the summer so everyone just had the lock screen on their phone as their vaccine card and it was so easy so anywhere you went you just held up the lock screen on your phone and they'd be like all right come on in but I highly recommend that as a little cheat code Um, to get you through the door quicker.
1: Yeah, we've hired. Um, we're outsourcing. Um, uh, basically like a security. Um, firm to help us with just that extra component of managing front of house, so that it's smooth and easy. Um,
2: Verifying. Yeah,
1: right, and sort of to a certain degree takes it out of our hands as the venue managers, so that we can have a different kind of relationship with the patrons where we're not sort of you know quote unquote policing them. Um. I think we live in a brave new world and I think just like how we're used to carrying our driver's license around, we'll get used to carrying our vaccine card around just like how, I don't know how young you guys are, but just like how we used to not have to take our shoes off at the airport and now we do. Like, yeah,
2: (laughs) bag up your, yeah, bag up your liquids in a quart-sized beer bag.
1: Um,
2: And I don't think, I don't think that our audience, I mean, I hope is going to be faking vaccine cards or... (laughs) you know, even if they aren't vaccinated, it's probably because they can't be. We encourage everyone who can be vaccinated to be vaccinated. Yep,
1: that's why we um, offer the test result option. Yes. Yep. Yeah.
0: We're curious about you as well. You said you just got to Worcester a few years ago. Where are you from? What was your career trajectory,
1: career trajectory like before this? Sure. So, um, I've sort of lived all around New England. I grew up in Connecticut. I was really a really into sports growing up, although I didn't ever think I would be sort of a professional athlete growing up. Um a high school drama teacher changed my life because he said, "Oh, you're very athletic and you're also very interested in language and you might really like acting because it's like both of those things at once." It's moving and doing language. So he sort of set me on the path of wanting to explore acting. Um, I was recruited onto the lacrosse team at Amherst College. So I, to a certain degree, went to Amherst to play lacrosse, although that's not the whole story. It ended up being a really good program for me as a very new person to theater, as a jock in theater. It was a really great small, like liberal arts theater program that was just right for me. So I majored in theater, and I was a four-year varsity athlete. Um, we won the national championship my sophomore year; oh, was one of the highlights of my <laughs> my sports That's career. Awesome. Three division three uh, division III women's That's lacrosse. Awesome. Yep. That's
0: really, amazing. and if Amherst has a team, mm-hmm. they're going to try to be the
1: best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in college, I I played sports, and I majored in theater, and I sometimes went to class. <laughs> Um, cause sports and theater was <laughs> very full schedule. And when I left college, I did, I wanted to be an actor. So I lived in New York for a couple of years and I did a bunch of non-union gigs that helped me sort of set on my path to joining the stage union and also helped me realize that I really needed formal actor training. That although Amherst was perfect for me at the time, liberal arts theater education is not the same as really being taught the craft of acting. So I applied to um, a handful of graduate schools and I got into the program in Providence, Rhode Island. That's a partnership between Brown University and Trinity Rep Company. So I was there for three years. I earned my Master of Fine Arts. And after that, I moved to Boston and instead of New York for a variety of personal and professional reasons. And I started my own little theater company there called Bridge Repertory Theater. And I managed and grew that for five, six years. And during the course of managing and growing Bridge Rep, I also started to direct and inherent in starting a company. I started to produce the work. And then, um, after our first show, uh, was done um in the Calderwood Pavilion um the gentleman who runs the theater arts program at MIT read about me in the globe and reached out to me and offered me to teach some acting classes at MIT so then I started this bizarre niche like side hustle of teaching acting to STEM students I'm so curious about that
2: just because you can be into, you can go to MIT and be super in a theater. Did you have, I'm sure you had those students, right, who were like very into it. Did you also have students who were like, let me try this and see how it goes?
1: Teaching at MIT has been one of the great surprise joys of my life and my career. Um, the students are spectacular. It's so fun to teach acting to highly motivated, highly creative, highly smart people who are really doing it for joy and not because they want to become actors? I have also taught people who want to become actors, and it's just a different ball game because they come in with like a different kind of pressure and a different you know and for me as a teacher, it's just more fun to teach to teach a different population of student and I for some reason have really good teacher student chemistry with these nerdy stem students <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm sort of outside of theater, I right. guess like you know initially, so I think you have that perspective of like finding the joy in it and finding, I guess, recreation in it, right? As opposed to eventually, obviously, seeking it professionally, but...
1: Yeah, totally. And I have actually had a couple of MIT students pursue careers in theater, more in technical theater, but I did have one student sort of drop the engineering gig and he went to graduate school just like I did at at the UCSD program out in San Diego. So... So yeah, so moving to Boston and Cambridge and starting my little theater company led me to open up all these other doors other than acting. Um, And then I met my, I met the woman who is now my wife um, and she went to Clark back in the day. She is a principal in the Hudson school system. And when we were dating, she would pick me up at Union Station. I would take the train to Union Station. She would pick me up at Union Station We would drive through the Canal District, and I was like, this place is fucking cool. Sorry, am I allowed to swear? (laughs) We would drive through the Canal District, and I was like, this is awesome. Like, where are we? And then we would get to Kelly Square, and I was like, whoa, this is (laughs) something. But so anyway, I sort of started to get to know Worcester because it was sort of our rendezvous point where she would pick me up and we would hang out. And she's obviously cared about Worcester for a long time, you know, having been a clerky and Still, kind of, um, you know, coming to Worcester for, for, to hang out and recreationally. And, and so it just made all sorts of sense for us to move here when we got married. It's so much more affordable. And my theater company had sort of reached the peak of its existence and I had sort of outgrown what I wanted to do with it. And some of the theater folks in the Boston Cambridge scene introduced me to Troy Siebel's, who is the president and CEO of the Hanover Theater. And he said, Well, we happen to be opening this brick box theater. And, you know, we need someone to manage it. And so I applied for this job and I got it. And once there was a job for me here, that really sealed the deal. And Rachel and I were like, of course, we're going to move here. So we live in the canal district. We love it. And now I'm here and I'm adding venue management to my bag of tricks because let me tell you, that's a whole other bunch of skills. (laughs) Um, And then uh, Troy and I have And our colleagues at the Hanover, um, in addition to managing the brick box, have been taking steps to launch this Hanover Theater repertory initiative so that we're not only managing this smaller space, but also doing some of the work of creating a professional theater culture here in the city. Um, And just to dig into that and, and explain it a little bit further, obviously professional theater is what you see when you go to the Hanover Theater. The difference is that the Hanover Theater hosts professional shows as they make their way across the country. It's a performing arts center. So we don't create the shows that you see at the Hanover Theater, with the exception of the annual Christmas Carol. We don't actually make those shows. We host those shows as they tour their way across the country. And the idea with THT Rep is that we would create our own shows here in Worcester for Worcester, growing a local population of artists and cultivating a different kind of audience for a different kind of work. So So I always try to be clear with people that what you're seeing at the Hanover is obviously professional theater. But what we mean by professional theater is, you know, um, like straight plays, Shakespeare and things that we actually rehearse and create here for this audience, as opposed to hosting them on their way across the country.
2: And engaging the Worcester area community, I guess, right, too, in being able to participate in stuff like that, because it can be kind of hard, especially like as an adult, I think when you, you, you know, you're done with high school, maybe you don't ever do theater again. And maybe someone's really talented and they want to, like, be on stage again, right? Or even just participate outside of that. Um, To that end, creating, was Julius Caesar the first performance that you
1: had put on through that? It was certainly the first major performance. So the very first thing I did with THT Rep was invented purely in response to the pandemic. I did in here a one-woman show of two Edgar Allan Poe short stories. I did this last October and it was for private audiences of 20 people and I staged it like a séance so everybody was at like like each little pod of people was at their own this was before we even had seats in here yeah. I feel-
2: you do yeah. play this you're like we staged a one person <laughs> and it was you yes.
1: so yeah so we set it up cabaret style in here in the brick box and each like little audience pod was at their own cafe table with like a little bottle of champagne and some dark chocolate so everybody was like socially distant and I was socially distant we made sure that there was like a barrier of candles and like seance stuff to keep me socially distant from the audience and so we did these, it was really fun. We did 16 shows with audiences of 20 of these two Edgar Allan Poe short stories. So that was the very first THT rep thing, very small. Then um, instead of doing Christmas Carol on the main stage, we we, meaning really Troy Siebels, reimagined Christmas Carol as a filmed production that was staged here in the brick box with a much smaller cast. So we filmed that here under the auspices of THT Rep.
2: I think this environment lends itself very well to the supernatural elements of A Christmas Carol
1: and I guess of Edgar Allan Poe, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. 100%. Yes, you can feel there's, like I said, with the ghosts, there's there's friendly ghosts here. Yeah, there's friendly ghosts in this theater for sure. But then it was around the time actually of A Christmas Carol that I said to Troy, what do you think about staging a big Shakespeare show out on the Common this summer because we don't know if the theater, either theater is going to be able to open again, you know, but theoretically, things will be a little bit better by then. And it's something we can do to build THT Rep and to offer something to our audiences and keep them engaged. And, you know, like we're poised to do it. And, you know, one of the great things about him is that he's so inclined to take risks um, and you know, we talked about it with our team and ultimately we decided to do it. So by far, THT Rep's biggest thing that we've done, and even one of the biggest things that the Hanover Theater has done is to put on this show that we just did outside um over the month of August, uh Shakespeare's Julius Caesar. And of all the things I've done so far as a theater person in many ways, it felt like the most truly important thing that I've done, not because it was Shakespeare, not because of anything, but because it made downtown Worcester a place to go and a place to be and a place to do something that excited your imagination or even just got you out of the house. And one of the reasons I have been at peace with not having a career in New York or not choosing a career in New York is because they really don't need me in New York. And it was really cool, as difficult as it was on so many levels to mount an outdoor production for the first time, let alone during COVID. Just the feedback of like, I can't believe this is happening in downtown Worcester made it feel so rewarding and important. And I was really kind of honored to and humbled to to have been the ca- a catalyst for that. So...
2: <laughs> it's like you not only you acted in the play. I did.
1: You were M- Mark Antony.
2: I was Mark <laughs> Antony. Um yeah. yes. What was your other like official role or title? I directed Everything. it. I, was I was direct- saying, <laughs> did you do every- Well and you like so you you basically conceptualized not obviously the play so it's, it's Shakespeare but like the idea of doing it, right? Yeah, I
1: conceptualized the idea of doing it and then I actually directed it. Awesome. Um and then I did play a supporting role. Um <laughs> because I said to Troy I was like, I'm going to be so jealous of everyone out there acting like after all of this year of being cooped up and inside and alone. I want to be like out there. I want to be part of it. Totally. <laughs> um, and I, I do know the play very, very, very well. I've directed it before I worked on it in graduate school. I've taught it a bunch of times. And so learning a supporting role didn't feel all that onerous. Um, and I had a wonderful associate director named Kate Moncrief. She's the head of humanities and arts at WPI she was the associate director. So when I was acting, she would watch and she would give me, notes. she would direct me really. So, um, so I wasn't really directing myself. I really had an, another really great set of outside eyes to, to help me. So, um, so it was really fun being out there. was a blast. <laughs> I love what you said about New York
0: too. And I think about that often. And the, the many paths that Molly and I have taken on where I'm like, I write for the paper of a teacher, but we have this podcast, you know, you can wear a lot of hats here and I think I could probably do one of those things. Well, in New York, Correct. they wouldn't need me or they wouldn't miss me, but and here, could you afford, it? Could you afford <laughs> it? And here you get to carve out something yeah. special.
1: So, and, and afford, I mean, my wife and I are really, really blessed like, we can afford our condo and like she has a job and like, we just, I'm able to have sort of a stable life that is unlikely that I would have in New York, Mm -hmm. you know, and do work where people are like, you don't understand. I grew up in Worcester and it is, these are like exact words that people said to me that it's like a miracle that that play happened out there. I mean, that's so, no one in New York is like, it's a miracle that you're doing a play. You You know. (laughs) the crowds even. It was very cool. Um, I spent a lot
2: of time like on Boston, like, you know, in the common in Boston, I went to Emerson college, sure. like right there, yeah, right you there. know? And so we would see every summer, they would also stage mm-hmm. like Shakespeare in the park. I think that helps too, like, to have the sort of recognition of like Shakespeare in the park. Yeah. It can be any park. Right. Yeah. But I remember seeing that and cause I've never made it to like central park for it to the Delacorte, but just no, like thinking that that was so cool. And so having that
1: sort of like the mirror of like, it's
2: here. Yeah. Like, and the, the crowd was similar. It was yeah. a whole situation. It was awesome.
1: And the <laughs> level of skill on stage was similar. You know, I mean, I, I was in that, I was in the Commonwealth Shakespeare show the year that I graduated from graduate school. And, you know, I mean, we're drawing from the same acting pool where, you know, the, the, the show that we put up here was not only sort of like good for Worcester, it was good period, you know? Um, and um, I think it's just so special to be able to start bringing that here and that's that's sort of what attracted me to being here and taking this job and working with troy is that both with the brick box and with THC rep both the space and the programming we have the opportunity to manifest uh you know a theater scene here a theater culture here um which is pretty cool
0: I appreciate your confidence too, because we speak to a lot of women in male dominated fields hmm. who have a hard time bragging is the wrong word, but like speaking yeah. honestly right. about their accomplishments, yeah. you know? And so I really appreciate that. You're like, this was a great thing.
2: It's um, so funny that you say that because as you were saying, like, it was good. Yeah. Like you directed it, you acted in it. And I was like, yeah, like I had the same yeah. thought. I was like, because if it is, it is, right? Exactly. Like, yeah, you know,
1: absolutely. It wasn't perfect. There are things that I would change. There are, you know, and ultimately theater is a group project and you can direct it as much as you want. And yet at the end of the day, you know, a lot of the work is out of your hands. But yeah, I I can confidently say that we delivered a professional, well-done, quality piece of theater to downtown Worcester. And I am, am super proud of so many components of it. And... It was full every night, every night from our first preview to our closing. It felt full every single night. And I'm confident we could have run it for two more weeks and it would have kept being full.
2: I love that you said, too, it wasn't perfect. I was actually just reading. I think it was like yesterday or the day before. um, There's an actress, Mary Beth Pale, who has done theater. She's an opera. Uh, She's like sung opera. And she has done a lot of TV and film work. And she was talking about the differences. And she said, every time I sang opera, I was terrified because you have to be perfect. And in the theater, you maybe are doing like eight shows a week and you run with it. Like you might mess something up and it's, it's alive. It's so living in the way that it works. And I, I thought that was such an interesting way of looking at it. Cause I hadn't really thought of it that way. I mean, I had kind of, but not relative to something like opera. Right. Yeah. And so maybe it's not perfect, but it's never going to be perfect. It's theater, right? It's live theater.
1: And everyone it's part of the match, everyone, every show is a little bit different. And even it. It even comes down to, like, the um personality of the audience on a given night. Like, there are just some nights where the audience is so in it to win it and their energy is so big and vibrant and palpable and the actors happen to give a really great show that night and, like, wow, like, the magic happens. And then there's a night where, like, the audience is a little quieter and the actors have just kind of a weird show and are off. And it's, like, supposedly the quote-unquote same show actually felt really very different to the people who were in it and and making it happen you know so theater is it's like a drug for perfectionists like me because (laughs) there's always something to tweak you know um keep going yeah and to keep going finishing the hat yeah yes
2: yes Put something there that wasn't there before you know
1: that's right and so as as i can confidently say to you it was a strong piece of theater I can also confidently say that doesn't mean we're done it doesn't mean you know that was the best it's going to be you know I would like to really manifest a rigorous professional theater practice here in this city and I would like our community to benefit from it and enjoy it and and know that they're getting you know they're getting the varsity team not the jv team you know worcester worcester deserves the varsity every, everywhere like deserves Bring the varsity the, team yeah. but yeah, yeah. Fuller fuller right, fuller right. Fuller you're not crash. getting the bench like i'm bringing you i'm bringing you the starting lineup to the best of my ability and, and keep will even will. if
2: you do get the bench it's a deep bench yeah it's right? deep like, bench you can pick out and it's gonna be awesome yeah
1: so, so what is
0: in the future? Do you already have some shows in mind this year that we can mark our calendars for?
1: I wish I could confidently say yes on the <laughs> THT rep front. The thing about um, producing Julius Caesar is that it was such an unbelievable undertaking that I sort of had to put a pause in my future planning. Um, we are in the process of deciding whether or not we want to do another show outside next summer. Um the question revolves entirely around our institutional capacity and not at all around whether or not we think it's a viable and great and wonderful thing to do. Um, but you know, the pandemic has been really hard on a lot of organizations and ours is no exception. And so we just have to make sure we can really sustain a project like that again before we commit to it. So, um, so stay tuned on whether or not there will be a uh, another outdoor production for THT Rep. Here in the brick box, it really is starting to fill up. Um, we have you guys. We have another podcast in November. Crawl Space It's going to do oh, a podcast here. Time. Yeah. yeah so. <laughs> um, we have a bunch of music coming in. Worcester Chamber Music Society. Mark Mummert, who is a local musician, has a series of local artists that he's bringing in. We have a one man show. We do have some theater, a one man show, um, from the Worcester State University Latino Education Institute for their 20th year anniversary. They're bringing in a one man show called The Trouble with My Name, which is by an artist named Javier Avila. So it's, it's starting to fill up and people can check out all of our events, both in the brick box and in the pop up at jmacwooster.org. Cool thing about the pop-up, just to plug my, my next door neighbors, uh, or not even neighbors, but part of, part of the JMAC. <laughs> all events in the pop-up are free and open to the public. And that space is totally free to use as long as the event is made free and open to the public. So really super accessible in the pop-up. And also a lot of the events like yours, you guys are selling tickets for five bucks, right? Yep. And it's
0: all going to the Molly Bish Foundation. Yeah.
1: So, you know, these are some accessible venues, both for um, people who want to come check out something, you know, cultural downtown and for people who, like you guys, who want to use the space. So jmacwister.org. You can check out all of our events and you can also learn more about coming in and using the space and dreaming your own thing into existence.
0: It was so easy and to plug Worcester Arts Council too. We were able to fund our project here through Worcester Arts Council and their grant application just opened I was again. I say that yes, apply or a
2: Wizard Arts Council yes. grant. They are wonderful. WAC funded. Yes. Yeah. And if, funded. if you have any questions too, too. <laughs> yes, I love
0: it. I and like it's some correct. little stars. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but last year, um, I had a few people applying who reached out and said like, Hey, I know you got one of these grants and I was happy to like share my application with them so they could see what it looked like. So feel free to reach out if mm-hmm. your interest is piqued by WAC. We're happy to share the, uh, share the wealth. I think to close, perhaps we could all share a show we've been in that we loved, your favorite. I, when I was in maybe 11th grade, I was in Arsenic and Old Lace and I was one of the old ladies and that was the highlight of my theater career. Sarah, weren't you also in Jesus Christ Superstar? Yeah, I was in the chorus of Jesus Christ Superstar. I still remember the dances.
2: I love it. Oh God. Okay. Well, my favorite, I think my very favorite experience was my senior year of high school. I was in Cinderella and I always, I never really wanted to be in the lead role because I kind of, especially in Cinderella. So well, no, I also kind of found it particularly that show. I was like, that's boring. Like, I don't want to play. I don't want to be Cinderella. I wanted to be one of the stepsisters. Characters, yeah. yeah. And I was able to be the stepsister who's, you know, a little on the, um, she's just not as there as the rest of the characters. And I had so much fun and I, my hair was like two giant buns on my head and I had like beads in it. It made noise. Um, and I just had such a blast and that show too. Like I was a senior and we had a lot of like freshmen and sophomores. So I got to know a lot
1: of people. It was just so much fun. So that has to be it from a, yeah, that's from you guys, acting yeah, I was going to say from a yeah. purely acting perspective, I really did have a blast acting that Edgar Allan Poe show that I just totally pulled out of a hat. I was like, what on earth can we do to make live theater happen during October of the pandemic? And I. I've always loved Edgar Allan Poe. And when I was in seventh grade, I had memorized an abridged version of the Telltale Heart. <laughs> was that
0: one of the yes, I was yes. going to ask which. The yes. Um,
1: the Telltale the Heart one? and the Cask of Amontillado. I was say, That's my favorite yeah. classic. Yeah.
2: <laughs> the Cask of Amontillado like, sent me in high school. Like I got, I was like tripped up by that. Yeah.
1: It freaked me out, man. So I had a blast acting those. Um Just purely from an acting point of view, I I would say that's one of the things I most enjoyed acting. I love it. (laughs) I remember actually when I was in, I don't remember if I was in like eighth grade or
2: ninth grade, we went to some production in like, I don't know, it was like Chicopee. It was like some traveling, like little group who did a bunch of, I think it was like four Edgar Allan Poe stories that they just like staged short versions of and, um, I can, like, remember, it It must have been really good, or at least one of them was, because I remember their telltale heart was awesome. Like, yeah. it was super creepy, and, like, even with, like, the minimal stage decoration, like, you don't need a lot because no. the stories are so vivid. Um And it was so much fun to watch. I think yeah. they did, like, the monkey's paw, which I didn't. We still bring that. our kids to this. Last year because yeah. of COVID, we couldn't, but it's, like,
0: standard eighth grade. It must have been, yeah. Theater. I, love I
2: loved it, though. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. I think they also might have, it might be maybe this is two separate things and i'm now putting them together in my head but i think we also saw some mark twain's
0: yes the jumping frog <laughs> the jumping frog or of Calaveras. Yeah, yeah, yeah oh
2: my um, gosh that is so funny that they still
0: do us. that i know
1: <laughs> you know what though i had a great time it clearly made a an yeah, impression yeah, sure. on me when we were doing edgar mm-hmm. Allan poe we had one night that was like for families of the hanover theater conservatory and this little girl i'll never forget her she was right over behind where I'm sitting right now. And I didn't, you know, I got as close to her as I could given COVID. And she just like, was like <laughs> laughing, giggling, like shrieking <laughs> in her seat, like totally freaked out. And it was just, I was like, that kid is in a good way. She It was positive giggling, yes. freaking out. And I was like, that kid is going to remember forever. Yes. That mm-hmm. moment of being in the theater, you know? And I was like, that's why I do it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I hope people will come and take advantage of this space and join us on September 30th at 7 p.m. Awesome. Mm-hmm. I have been Sarah, and I have been Molly. This is Poppet. Thank you, Liv. Yes, Liz. Thank you. Thank you,
1: guys.